Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, your weekly look at some of the most fascinating and important stories to come out of politics in the north of England. I'm Rob Parsons, a journalist based in Leeds, who keeps an eye on the town halls, MPs and mayor's offices around the north so you don't have to put it all together in a daily newsletter called The Northern Agenda. If you opened Friday's edition, you will probably have seen the cartoon by Graham Bandera featuring Nadine Dorries, the Merseyside-born Tory MP and former Culture Secretary who seems to be absent without leave from her constituency in Bedfordshire, two months after announcing she was resigning with immediate effect when she failed to get a peerage in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list, she has noticeably not yet done so. She's failed to speak in the Commons for more than a year and hasn't voted in Parliament since April. But as her constituents are finding out, it's very difficult to get rid of an absentee MP outside election season. One Labour MP, Chris Bryant, has been forced to use a rule dating back to 1801 to potentially force a vote, finding Ms Dorries to be in contempt of the House, which could lead to her being recalled and a by-election carried out to replace her. But at local level... In our town halls in Northern England, the rules are very different. Councillors cease to be a member of their authority if they fail to attend any meeting for six consecutive months from the last date of their attendance. And someone who's fallen foul of this this week, sparking considerable anger in Hull, where she was elected last year, is Sarah Harper-Riches, a Labour councillor who's been recalled after not attending for six months. It sounds simple enough until you hear that Sarah's absence was triggered first by the birth of her daughter, but then because she suffers from chronic fatigue syndrome, delaying her return to local politics. Labour councillors say she's fallen foul of archaic rules about attending meetings, but I wanted to hear directly from her about what's happened. So I'm really pleased to be joined now by Sarah Harper-Riches. Sarah, welcome. Hi, thanks very much for inviting me, Rob. I imagine it's been a, a weird few days for you with uh, you know, your story in lots of the local media. I mean, what, what's, what's it been like the last few days since this has happened? It's been really surreal, really surreal, because it's something that I, I did not see coming. So it's been, um, uh, it, it's been a massive sort of crash bang wallop introduction to the, uh, uh, to, to this happening. Um, it's been a busy time. Um, and uh, yeah, it's still a period of adjustment um, to sort of realizing that this has actually happened. Yeah, absolutely. So I thought maybe the best place to start, so people fully understand what's happened, would be at the beginning in terms of your, you know, your political career. So maybe you could just tell us a bit first of all about how you got into politics, local politics in Hull, and then became a councillor just over a year ago. Mm. So um, I uh, I started getting into politics while I was um, a postgrad in uh, in York. Um, previously, as a younger person, I'd been pretty disenfranchised, to be honest. Um, grew up under the poverty line. Um, wasn't really aware that politics could be for people like me. It was always for somebody else. Um, some really good people in York introduced me to politics. Um, introduced me to my now husband, um, got involved in politics there, but it was um, here in Hull, my hometown, which I returned to, um, that it it felt like it really made sense. I felt like um, there was there was a space that I could make a positive impact, um, and that was in uh, Bricknell um, with uh, with Councillor Peter North, who's um, 
who's run to be a counsellor I supported. So um, that was that was where I ended up throwing my hat into the ring. Um, knew that there was stuff that I could bring, I'm passionate about, um, about community engagement, about making sure that politics is um, clear to people that that live there, that people don't feel that this is some uh, these are some dark arts that they don't understand. Um, it's it's perfectly easy to understand if you if you if you have it used, uh, explained using clear language. Um, environmental issues, trying to support people that that maybe don't feel that politicians normally speak for them. That was that was w- what sort of drove me drove me to to be involved in politics. For people who don't know uh, the political scene in. Oh, Bricknell, am I right in thinking you, you defeated a conservative incumbent to to win to win that seat? So it's not a sort of a fully Labour stronghold area where you got elected. Correct. So um in Hull actually um that was the last conservative um MP uh, elsewhere. The battles have, have often been between um us and the Liberal Democrats. Um so uh, yeah, Bricknell. It was myself against um, uh, the the incumbent Conservative, Mr. Fairham, uh, Councillor Fairham at the time, um, and that was um, where they they saw that having had their first Labour uh, Labour um, Councillor in a long time, they saw the difference that it made, and that um, obviously helped my campaign because they realised actually this this is a good thing. Um, and that, that was the context in which I, I stepped into that race. I saw, uh, I found a tweet from uh, the day that you gave your maiden speech at Hull Council. I was, I, to be fair, it was from a fellow Labour councillor, but he, he said, I can't remember a better maiden speech. And he said that you spoke very eloquently and passionately about food poverty in the city and your own food poverty experiences as a child. So just tell me a bit about that. So how, have you brought your own experiences of perhaps struggling a bit to, to bear on, on your role as a, a councillor? Absolutely. And it's one of the reasons why I feel that equality within the chamber is so desperately important because um, it's really difficult to, to make sure that policy covers everybody's experiences and protects everybody without some of that experience being in the room. Um, you can go through the in theory this, in theory that. Um, I'm not saying that good attempts can't be made, but you're never going to capture anything. Um, the, there's going to be certain things that seem common sense, but if you've actually got practical experience of it, you can say, actually, I see why you're saying that, but this. Um, that's that's really important. So it's it, it's one of the reasons why what has happened to me has dismayed me so much because we need to be increasing voices like mine, not just like mine. We need more. Um, uh, we need more BAME um, representatives. Um, we need. Um, we're starting to increase the number of younger representatives. Um, we need um, a broader variety of disabled representatives. Um, but we're we're trying to we're trying to work on that. We are trying to work on that, but it's always going to be something where you're you're not going to get that if people are forced out of their positions um, on the basis of their protected characteristics. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll come back to the sort of uh, legalities of, of what's happened uh, shortly. But just so just to explain, you had been a councillor for a few months when you took some time off because of the uh, for the birth of your of your daughter. 
explain to us what happened sort of from that from that point in terms of you taking some time away from being a, a counsellor? Yeah, so I ended up needing to take time off being a counsellor earlier than I was intending to because my daughter was measuring small, my blood pressure was um, measuring progressively higher. Um, and I knew that when you're in that sort of situation, it's very difficult for you to apply yourself in the way that you you would otherwise. Um, so I needed to really sort of focus on my health. Um, and uh, so I so I made sure that I took leave a bit early. Um, what that meant was that I ended up off longer than I would have been otherwise. But also it meant that I had a period running into my my leave where I wasn't doing the bureaucratic work that I maybe would have otherwise. Um, I I needed support in that, essentially. I needed there to be a framework, a structure um, that would mean that the application of the Local Government Act was going to be done in a, in a fair way, um, according to my being um, a pregnant person, according to my being disabled. The, the Local Government Act is the relevant bit of legislation that's been cited uh, by the council when they sort of recalled you essentially because of not being at a meeting for six months. I mean, so how much awareness did you have of the fact that this was a possibility that if you missed six months of meeting, you would automatically be recalled? Were you aware of it or was it something that was sort of in the back of your mind, but because of everything else that was going on, you weren't able to sort of engage with it fully? I wasn't aware because for the month that I would have been spending making sure that I was, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, I was, I was pretty ill and I was, um, I was sort of focusing on the aspects of this pregnancy that were starting to have, um, some red flags raised. So, um, it's, it's not something that I had, uh, I had delved into the research on because I didn't have the capacity to at that point. And presumably the the combination of having chronic fatigue syndrome or, or ME and also being pregnant and then having a young baby, that that is pretty, it makes life pretty tough, I would imagine. Yeah, it makes life tough, but it also makes life difficult to predict. So you, anybody that's had a condition similar to chronic fatigue syndrome, um, any sort of a, a lot of invisible illnesses that sort of um, uh, impact on these sorts of systems knows they fluctuate. It can be very difficult to tell how one aspect of your health is then going to impact on your uh, chronic fatigue or or other condition. Um, so it's it's not something that's easily planned around. You need to react. As things are happening at times, so it's um, it's really tough in that respect. So I I've done the absolute best that I could. Um, I'm still I'm still awaiting results. Are, um, I'm still waiting investigation into whether I'm still um, iron deficient, for example. There's there's so much that can that can impact it. Um, and yes, it, it makes a return to work difficult. It means that sometimes. From the outside, it may not necessarily always make sense why you're needing to take the path that you're taking. Um, for example, I've been able to get to certain community events. I haven't been able to sit through um, sort of long indoor meetings. 
um, especially while I'm breastfeeding my daughter, uh, it's it's an additional draw. So, um, yeah, there's a lot involved. So when did you first become aware that this that the local government act had been triggered and it and you were going to be recalled? On the first day of my first holiday with um, with our uh, five month old, um, we were sat in a B and B in Scarborough, and I was called and informed that I uh, was no longer a counsellor. And what was your reaction to that? Presumably, did it just come out of the blue? Absolutely. It just feels like um, there's a chasm just opens up beneath you and you're free falling and um, there's nothing. I felt completely powerless um, and shocked. It was shock was the first reaction. um, And uh, of course, it was really, really upsetting (laughs) Um, that how could this happen? Oh, no. What now? What now? what do I do? Um, and it's, it's not like, it's not like it was a circumstance where I was going into, these are the risks. Um, there was no way of bracing myself in that circumstance. Um, yeah. So it was shock and dismay. And my understanding based on what the council have said is that there are some circumstances under which this six month rule doesn't doesn't necessarily apply, and so if uh, an application had been made on your behalf, perhaps they might have they might have considered there were extenuating circumstances and not and not recalled you. I mean, do, is it does that is that sound right to you? Like, or do you, do you think some someone should have should have interceded in your on your behalf, or the council should have maybe taken your circumstances into consideration? Yeah, so um, I think that there's there's multiple ways in which this can be looked in terms of changes that could be made to support um, uh, people who are pregnant, people who are disabled. Um, not only those two, there, there are other ways in which um, people trying to do their jobs as counsellors could could be supported better. Um, and it's not necessarily only the council that could look at, at, at change, but I don't, I don't necessarily want to distract from the fact that it was the council's role um, to ensure that they were following the equalities legislation. Um, I, my understanding is that they have previously had a, had an electronic system where it was flagged at five months when somebody needed to be notified that this was a risk after an IT update no longer exists. So my understanding is that they have previously had a system in place. Why would they have that in place if they weren't aware that that was something that they needed to do? So when you say equalities legislation, are, are you saying that there's uh, legislation in place that supersedes the Local Government Act and means that whole council weren't actually within their rights to recall you because of your, you know, your protected characteristics as a as a disabled disabled woman? My understanding of the equalities legislation um, is that the Equalities Act supersedes. Uh, predating legislation unless otherwise like strictly specified um so any any law like the local government act needs to be viewed through the lens of how do we apply this act without unfairly punishing people who fall under these protected characteristics so in my case as a pregnant woman who has gone into um breastfeeding a child um who has potentially been 
um, uh, experiencing ill health as a result of um, uh, offset pregnancy and as a disabled person um, experiencing chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, there are less protections in general afforded to counsellors because of our unusual um, position with regards not being strictly employees of uh, the council. However, that does not remove the council's um, uh, obligations to ensure that we can do our job unhindered by protected characteristics. So with that being the case, are there any legal avenues that you think you could pursue to sort of appeal against this decision or is it is it is it done as far as you're concerned? It would be interesting to explore a judicial review. Um, I've obviously been um, slammed by this information over the course of but a few days. Um, whether that's something that would be in the offing, I, I don't know. Um, but that my, my inclination would be that if, if it were to be challenged, it would be by judicial review. Um, so where um, there is a review of has has this law been applied fairly incorrectly? Um, is there something else that that should have been done instead? Um, so there there isn't case law on this at the moment, but that that would be that would be the route if if that was to happen. Um, uh, will that happen? <laughs> it's it's an astonishing amount of money that you need to to do these sorts of things. Um, money that I don't have. Um, so um, will it happen? I don't know. It, the, the chances are, are slight, but procedurally, that would be the way to do it. It occurs to me, and I imagine other people might be making this point as well, your your Labour uh, colleagues, obviously, I think Hester Bridges, who's the deputy leader of the Labour group, has you know been one of those who's been criticising what's happened. But could, could Labour, you know, the local Labour group in Hull, have seen this in advance and made some sort of uh, application on your on your part like do you think they've they've dropped the ball at all in allowing this to happen i i think that there are there are potentially things that the labor group could have done yes um it's not that there's solely one party that could have stopped this from happening i guess i just want to be really clear that the the labor group are the ones that i i think had the statutory duty here um it should have been stopped before that stage by by Hull city council so in terms of what happens now, there'll be a by-election, obviously, assuming that it all goes ahead. And you're presumably not planning to stand in that by-election in any form, even if you were able to. No, um, I'm I'm not well enough. Um, I, I, I was well enough to work on a graded return to work. Um, but a by-election is... Um, it is a really heavy affair and it's not one that I can, that I can put myself or my daughter through, um, uh, as it stands. So I understand that, um, uh, Sharon Hoffman has been, um, selected by the Bricknell branch as being the representative for the by-election. And I wish her the very best of luck in the, in the by-election, um, battle should, should it, uh, proceed as we, as we assume it, it almost certainly will. The point that we should make there is that you you're talking about your gradual return to work like you were prior to getting this news. You were in the process of gradually building up your workload. Obviously, you hadn't been to a meeting, but you were doing more of your council council work. Because I guess what people might say when they hear about this story is, well, the reason this provision exists in the Local Government Act is to stop people who don't. You know, you hear about people who live in you know live hundreds of miles away and don't 
represent their constituents and you're just claiming the you know the the, the allowance that that's what these rules are there for uh but i guess what you are saying is that you were gradually building up to sort of represent your constituents so they weren't going without representation exactly so there's a few things at play here one is that um representing a ward is is a team process so it's not that we're leaving the representatives of Bricknell without representation um i worked closely with um councillor peter north in terms of making sure that everything was covered um that he knew what i had been working on we were largely working in lockstep on the same sorts of issues so he was able to um extend from things that i had been working on um uh, for example the the protection of um of trees and in green spaces in the ward that uh, that's something that i had originally spearheaded he was ensuring um the ball stayed very much rolling on um then there's uh there's the fact that we need to be really careful not to fall foul of the oh pregnant people are lazy they need to you know that uh, we we need to be able to make space for people going through pregnancy um within their jobs and um and relying that they they will return to work and i feel that we need to be wary of having an automatic distrust of people who are making that that return um Yes, I was um, gradually on a sloped entry, starting with um, starting with tasks that were going to be easiest for me to manage, um, building my way up, um, making sure that I was abreast of what was happening within the ward so that when I stepped into meetings, I would be going in with the knowledge on the ground, um, making sure that I was going around collecting casework while out on, uh, on canvassing sessions. Um, so I, I was in the process of that return um, in a way that made sense regarding my disability and my pregnancy. I guess the wider sort of issue relating to politics in Hull and, and further afield is that, you know, the, the diversity of the people who represent us, both at local and national level, is really important, isn't it? And I've sat in a few council meetings in different parts of the country and, you know, to generalise, uh, is quite often dominated by uh, retired uh, men, usually able-bodied white men, depending on where you are in the country. And so it's really important to have a wide selection of different people with different life experiences, different perspectives, uh, representing us and making decisions on the council. So with that with that in mind, do you, do you think you might ever try and return to local politics once you're you know feeling uh, uh, well enough to do so? I would never say never, um, but um, uh, certainly a by-election is completely um, beyond me. But you're right that we do need that uh, plurality of voices um, and experiences um, to to be able to influence policy in a way that is um, uh, equal and equitable. Um, so... Um, yes, I, I agree that we need those voices in the room, be it me, be it somebody else. Um, it's it's of huge importance um, in shaping policy for the future to make sure that things like this don't happen again, but also to make sure that broad the broader policy agenda is one that recognises the needs of, uh, of working age people, um, of younger people, of people going through pregnancy in, in the current climate of the cost of living crisis, um, uh, in, li- in light of uh, disabilities, in light of experiences as, uh, as BAME people. 
um, in light of experiences as trans and non-binary people. Um, uh, we've got a huge amount of experiences that we need to make sure are covered um, uh, at all levels of policy and legislature. Well, Sarah, I wish you uh, best of luck, regardless of what you decide to do, even if you don't decide to go back into politics. Uh, Sarah Harper-Riches, thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you very much, Rob. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McCoughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.